All right. Well, I see a bunch of people already posting your questions. Hang tight. We're going to answer your listener questions. Um, but first, Scott, you did some uh, some digging into thyroid hormone. I know that that's going to be for a piece you're doing for the Mountain Dog website. So it, when mm -hmm. that gets up, if everybody wants to head over there, I mean, heck, even if you just wanted to subscribe for a month, which I've done at times, I've been I've said, hey, I really want to see these One articles. More. You know, I'll, I'll pay for a month membership over there soak up as much information as I can and then cancel and then come back a couple months later, do the same thing again. You know, so I, I want to give a plug to the mountain dog diet website, check that out for Scott and a bunch of other cool stuff. Andrew Berry's doing stuff over there all the time. Um, so you're not going to go into great detail on this. You know, we talked a little bit about thyroid a couple episodes ago, and I'm wondering if maybe that sparked your interest on this topic. That's what prompted it. Um, the topic of half-life came up. So, so I dug in and just wanted to do kind of a primer on thyroid because lots of people are using thyroid um, just to have something out there because I don't, I don't subscribe to the sites, um, Victor Black site, for instance, John Jewett said I haven't bought a prescription there. I probably should just because I have, I have so many clients who have, and then they want to tell me about it. I'm like, no, 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 don't like you paid for that. Like, don't like, don't, that's not really, that's not really cool for you to tell me what's on there. Like I should pay for it, you know, so that they get their business. Um, but I don't know what's out there as far as thyroid primers go, you know, sort mm. of behind paywalls. Yeah. Um, but I just tried to put together, I think it was like maybe a half an hour, 40 minutes. These are supposed to be 15 minute Q and A's and I you can't, don't do that. I can't bring my, I just can't. There's no, I mean, there's no point. I, we do this, you know, we do open Q and A's here where I just sort of talk off the cuff and those are great. Hopefully those are informative, but when I have the opportunity to have a PowerPoint, to have actual data that I can bring forth and go into greater detail, like I, I do that because um, I think that's important because it's missing. I mean, the longer, I mean, I'm sounding like the old guy, you know, sitting as a rocking chair talking about how the good old days were and how everything, you know, the older I get, the better I was, the better it was, but back in the old forum days, it was long form discussions, right? And you could see there's one post after another, you could see all of them. Now we have everything's threaded on Instagram and Facebook. You know, the, the information bites are smaller and you don't have the opportunity to get into um, deeper discussions. I think, I think people still do have like flame wars. They go off on one another, but it's even less coherent. You know, that's, that's always going to happen with, with online stuff. Sure. But it's even less coherent if you miss the posts and miss context. So I feel like there's, you know, this is part of my kind of mission is to provide at least the best that I can um, some more, more in-depth information on these sorts of things. So um, yeah, they wanted me to only do like 15 minutes, but I can never, I don't think I've ever done one that was just 15 minutes. You and Victoria, yeah, you can't be tethered. Neither of you. I don't even try. Yeah. I don't even try. There's no, there's no point. And, and it's funny because in, I wish the thing I'll just mention this. There's lots of good. There's just the stuff that I've written, like in the past when John was alive, when I was writing articles um, for him. And now the things that I put up, people are not seeing them. So, mm. for instance, we talked about IGF one here on Odd Park on podcast, and I know you brought it up on Blood, Sweat, and Gear when you brought Steve on. And Andrew had didn't seem to know about it, right? He didn't know it was there because he's busy with a million other things. I've got a ninety minute. Two part, two part, 40, 45 minutes each, um, deep dive into IGF one. Yeah, on there. which was also inspired by the show. We, everybody was asking you about it, so you went ahead yeah. and you, we talked a little bit about it here. I mean, a, a lot of yeah, great sure. detail and information about it here. In fact, mm -hmm. I should re-release that. But um, yeah, you did like an exceptional, like a, more 
it, it, you know, there's always a guy out there who says, hey, I wish you could have talked about it even more. I don't care how long you yeah. talk about it. There's always a guy who right. wants just a little bit more. That's where you get it, right? That's that's what that comes down to. That's like the full on, the full entree, the full course. It's there, and but it's not getting many views. Um, okay. John's site isn't the course. John's not there, so it's you know it's not what it was. But all that old information, if for people who haven't seen it, it's all just there's just gem after gem after gem. And I like to think the least the things that I'm putting out are are sometimes worth it. And I mean, I, I have I've had several people they come to me they want to know about topics. And IGF one is actually one of those. Cause they saw us maybe talk about it and like, Hey, I want to do a consult with you about IGF one. I'm like, okay, well, I, first of all, I don't do drug prescription consults, but you want to know like the basic theoretical, we can go into it. You can talk about like, what if someone were to do this? I'll answer any question that there might yeah. be. But the first thing I recommend is like, Hey, instead of paying me my consultation fee for an hour, you can spend 20 bucks exactly like we just mentioned, and then go and get a 90 minute tutorial on IGF one on John's site, right, with all the, more, more than I could possibly do in a one-on-one -on -one consultation. And then when you have some other questions, like then you come back to me and then we do like a half an hour and you get everything you wanted and you saved yourself whatever, hundred bucks or something. Yeah. So I send people there all the, over, there all the time for these things. And I'm trying to maybe, maybe accumulate a small body of literature on these, these questions. Um, Cause that way, just like I do with my book, like someone comes to you like, Hey, have you read my book? Cause chances are, if you haven't, eight out of 10 questions are answered in the book and it's, you know, it's cheaper than having like, you know, a couple hours of consultation with me. Yeah. So buy that first. Anyway, um, there's one, I guess we can pull up. Yeah. With this came up, we we're talking about half-life on the show. Right. And, and I wanted to just go into this, this interesting situation here. It actually mirrors what happens with testosterone, even with an enanthate ester, which is considered, you know, not a short half-life per se, but we have the same kind of situation with T3. So I go into T3 and T4 pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics on the on the, um, uh, the Q&A on John's side. But if you could throw that, you got the, the figure I sent in Yes, text? sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, let's it throw the whole screen with it if you can. So this is, this is basically what's going on, and you can see the references there. This is kind of what happens. And I can't do this, you know, because I don't have the PowerPoint in front of me. But what you see is a really, this is with um, uh, 50 microgram dose uh, oral. Um, and this is sort of the average. So those bar, each of those dots is a, an average of after the initial um, intake. So you can see the first time measurement is 10 hours, 20 hours, et cetera, et cetera. So we're talking about with 50 micrograms, um, the uh, curve of plasma or this thing they call it, this was actually just serum. Um, T3 concentration was back down to normal, you know, around 50 hours or so. They did a 48-hour measurement, it looks like. Um, so what happens um, is you can measure half-life in various ways. And sometimes it kind of depends on, and I'm not going to get into this too much, but it kind of depends on what you presume is going on once the, um, the substance, the drug, gets into your system. And more recently, it's been people finally started taking uh, taking note of what we see here. And this is in this Van Tessel et al. article that I, I note below um, from 2019. And that's what that table comes from. I'll get into that in just a second. Is that we don't have like a simple, you take the drug, you have sort of immediate um, increase. There's some lag time because you've got absorption in the GI. And that's basically as close to 100% for T3, not necessarily for T4. Um, there's food and coffee and various things can affect that. But mm. we're just talking about T3 now. You get a really rapid rise 
in a matter of two, three, four, five hours. Um, and there's some variability. So you look at the look at those bars. Those are standard deviation bars. Most likely, if not said, that's what you presume they are. So that's that. There's a huge variation in as to how how high and what that peak is. Hmm. Um, and they could have also done standard deviations. Um, they can also look at standard deviations as to when the peak was for different individuals. That's another way of representing this data, but they didn't do that here. So um, those bars uh, become smaller. If you follow the curve out to the right, you see the bars become smaller. But in that initial dose, you've got a huge peak, right? And then it starts coming down. So what this latest, this Fantessel's uh it was a review with some of their own data went into is that basically we don't have a simple, what they would call a one compartment model um, where basically the drug comes in, the whole body gets brought into the body as a singular compartment. Um, it dissolves in the, in the plasma and then throughout the extracellular intracellular volumes, pretty much equally um, and then leaves. And in that case, you'd see pretty much a, a peak. Usually they studied this directly just with an IV, but you'd see a peak and then, the line wouldn't be as curved as what we see here in this plot. It would sort of just be almost a little bit curved. It tends to do that, but then it, w- it wouldn't drop off so precipitously at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but what this curve suggests, because it comes up real fast and it comes down, re- comes down pretty dang fast, and then it tapers off, is do we have a two-compartment model here? So the T3 comes in, gets probably re- really rapidly absorbed, it goes into the plasma pretty quickly and it goes to the highly perfused areas of the body. So mainly the organs, and then it goes to other lesser perfused areas. And then it comes more slowly out of those. So at first it gets distributed. So it's sort of the distribution phase and that's that big peak at the beginning. Okay. And then there's what they call an elimination phase. So it's fairly rapidly distributed and then more slowly eliminated. So, Let's take a look. If we follow the curve, and I'm, I have this, I want to bring my mouse over to it. But if you look, <laughs> look at the 10-hour mark and go up to the curve, it looks like at 12 hours they have a data point. Okay. So yep. zero hours, let's say it's wake up, 7 a.m., you take your, your T3. Um, you get a, a spike at like 10 o'clock, let's say, something like that. It will vary person by person. And by the time you get to 7 p.m., you can see – that value at 12 hours is barely above your, above your baseline, right? It's come way down. Yeah. So the 12-hour value is way below half of the peak. Mm, yeah. Okay. And so what, what has been done in various studies, and you can't see it too well, at least maybe if you have a – maybe not on your phone, but if you're on a computer, you can see, is the various studies have, have – they've – differentially or differently so that's kind of a pun they differently they looked at this curve in different ways to try to figure out what the half-life is and you see i'm going to read the numbers i can barely see them here 17 this is across studies this is from this table i've circled it in red there the half-life that's come from various studies from 17 23 24 12 36 10 22 and then the last study where they talk about this being actually a two-component model. We've got this distribution phase where it peaks really rapidly and comes down pretty rapidly, and then we've got elimination phase. So they broke it up into two half-lives. So if you look, if, and I, I can't draw a line on that curve, but if I could, you'd basically chop that elevation of blood plasma into two phases. The first phase, the distribution phase, and that's really rapid. The half-life there, the time to get down 
to half of your peak values is like 2.3 hours, not mm-hmm. very long. Yeah. And then when you look at that long tail that goes, takes forever and goes out to the right, that half-life is 22.9. So, and they average those as a, uh, um, a 3.67 hour half-life. And that's dramatically different. So their delimination half-life is 22 hours. It's a hell of a yeah. lot different than 2.3 hours. Yeah. Right? So the point here is that when we look at half-lives, and this also applies to testosterone that you can look at those curves too. And people say it's a seven-day half-life or whatever. Right, right. That's probably an elimination or kind of a terminal elimination half-life. Somebody's called it just a terminal half-life. That's what's happening on the second half of that curve, yeah. right? Wherever that's determined um, by the study with the curve analysis. So that doesn't really tell you what, what's truly going on. So the point that, that was brought up in the last um, in podcast, we talked about this, is that we have a really rapid spike and then it comes down pretty rapidly and then there's a long tail but if you're trying to keep maintain t3 levels throughout the day let's say you're someone who's hypothyroid yeah um and they're if we're just using t3 t4 is usually the go-to actually as far as uh thyroid replacement at least initially but some a lot of people use compounds and there's that's what i talk about in the the q a but a lot of bodybuilders use use t3 yeah right so at least in terms of blood levels it would make more sense if you want to stabilize those to spread your T3 out. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. At two similar peaks. And that's what I had um, said. And a bunch of people said, no, 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 you, you don't need to spread it all out. Just take it all at once. You yeah. know, and, and, and somebody had said it has a very long half-life. And that's where this whole conversation started. So this is interesting to know. And, and I could tell just out of the, the effect, um, I'm going to take this down for a second. Just out of my personal experience, when I've used T3, I can tell you that I become dependent on it. Like I, if I don't, if I forget the T3, I, I feel like a little bit of brain fog. I feel like I'm not, you know, kind of like I forgot to drink my coffee or something. And um, if yep. I take yeah. multiple yeah. doses, split it up through the day, then I can, I can sustain just like what I'd call normal function versus if I miss a dose or if I forget it for the day, uh, if I try to take it all at once, then it doesn't have that that same effect. So this this makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, one thing, too, that kind of add to that, and I talk about this in the Q&A, is that there, there is some lag time, too, um, to the impact on metabolic rate, which is kind of what we're looking for um, for T3. You want to maintain your metabolic rate and your protein turnover synthesis and those sorts of things. And maintaining metabolic rate is important for fat burning. Right. So if you're if your caloric needs go down because your thyroid is starting to drop, that's part of what we're trying to do. But um, so that the, if, if you, you could plot that out, and I didn't find data that did that. If you could plot out the effect on metabolic rate, you'd see a, a delayed peak. And that's because thyroid makes its way into the cell. It binds it binds in the has actions in the nucleus. So there's nuclear receptors there. And then it causes the expression of various genes that are related, a ton of genes related to metabolism. So there's some delay there. So it hmm. has a longer acting effect. But what you're talking about, this, this, this sort of stimulant effect, that's absolutely at play. So um, a thought, too, what you said, like obviously you don't want the, want the brain fog. A thought, too, for people, and this is sort of a practical um, consideration, let's say, not a prescription, but a consideration is if someone is using T3, and typically they might be doing that when they're using other stimulant-based fat burners or stimulant fat burners, right? And they need to be able to sleep at night. 
it might behoove them to some degree if they're at least they're going to split their t3 up they want to avoid the brain fog at night to at least maybe load the t3 earlier in the day or how some people just do it with an earlier dose so that they can sleep at night Hmm. and that's the payoff like you may not be getting the the metabolic effects of the t3 if the t3 levels are have already dropped way down by the end of the day but if you can sleep yeah (laughs) you better you can get six hours of sleep versus two um, that may be worth it all in all. So that's the consideration too. Like, I mean, I know people who can take a hearty dose of clenbuterol before they go to bed and they sleep oh, just fine. Yeah. yeah. I don't you understand know, that. I've known those people I, too, I, man. I tried yeah. it one time. I will never do it again. It was the biggest mistake yeah. in my life. It's right crazy. up there at least. Yeah. So I think there's some biological individuality, which basically is the case with pretty much everything, um, to play there. So that's where like you Oh, did we lose Scott? Um, we lost you for a second. We lost you for a second there. You're, you're a little frozen on us. Oh, there you're you are. Back? You're back. Yeah, it might be time for a new computer. Let me see if I, I did do try to rescue the thing. I ran disc first aid on it, but it wasn't, wasn't behaving. So anyway, yeah, uh, that's where all those different half-lives come from. There's different numbers that you find in different. And unfortunately, when you read some of the online drug discussions, they just, they just copied you know what's been propagated or you know multiple times again sure. and you can find the you can copy and paste those some of those paragraphs and you'll find it like hundreds of places sure right sure so you don't have a reference you have a source for that to see what's going on so what's important then is to look one at those curves that's what's happening pharmacokinetically so that's what so to speak the body's doing to the drug like how is the body to what extent is the body allowing the drug to be absorbed um how fast is it being cleared um, how is the body, so to speak, distributing the dr- drug to its various compartments? That's going to base, be based on solubility, et cetera, um, potential uptake with transporters and those sorts of things. And then the pharmacodynamics is what the drug does to the body. So there's a delay in that effect on metabolic rate, but um, that may not match what you're, meant, you're, what you're noticing cognitively in terms of stimulus, being stimulated. So if you, if you can't sleep, right, or... Um, yeah, you need to have some to get your day going, like that brain fog to limit the drain fog. If you are, are hypo, um, thyroid because you're dieting down or because of previous thyroid, whatever. So those things need to be balanced, I think. So those are, I just wanted to bring up that half-life thing. Cause it's, um, it's a matter of like, this is why the, the age old question is like, where are the data? And mm-hmm. it's not just to be like, where's your data? Like, well, I don't know why it's, it's not to be, um, uh, snooty about it it's like show me those data so i know where that was calculated from because those half-lives are were calculated from their data but it doesn't reflect what might be important um in in practice sort of in the real world on the uh, in the trenches so to speak as far as using thyroid so i thought that was um as this that's not all the things that i mentioned in the q a but that was one thing i think that was important to mention absolutely um, yeah that's fantastic Especially yeah, to, cool. to kind of fill everybody in um, on what we had been talking about before. You also mentioned um, that, that maybe things aren't as cut and dry with uh, um, like the esters for things like testosterone. Um, we talked about that, guys, back on one of our episode 100s. It might have been episode 100 part A, B, or C. I can't remember which. One of them's about uh, gear. One of them's about training. And one of them's about nutrition. Those three episodes kind of summed up. Our, our previous 99 episodes, really, 
that was a great topic too. That'd be something yeah. that the, the Esters, that would be a great one to revisit now because we're like 50 episodes further. That was a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of new people that are listening that haven't heard that and maybe not be able to, uh, you know, dig back and find it. So I'll make a note. We should bring that up at some point. And I'll tell you what, I learned a lot from that, though. Like, I learned a ton, man, because I had always just taken it for granted that, you know, this is written in stone, that this is a seven day Esther and this is a three point five day, Esther, not a four day, three point five day Esther. You know, and when you start looking yeah. at how there's all of the individuality uh, to breaking these things down, it really does open your eyes to, you know, things might need to be administered a little bit differently than than what I maybe previously had thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the oil that it's in, the carry oil matters, the the volume of oil that's used for a given dose. They've, you know, looked at like the one study, I think we talked about is NPP and DECA, and they d- delivered 100 milligrams of, of nandrolone, either as NPP or as in, as in DECA. And you see all these different, and it depends on whether they went in the delta or in the glutes. Yes, yes. And, it's, and the carry oil is also makes a difference there. And the yeah. person... And whether that muscle gets exercised, I think, makes a difference because you have a mechanical stimulus there, which is going to disperse that oil. So if you hit your glute and you go train legs right afterwards, that's a different story, right? Um, which I really don't recommend people to do is they, they put a big, you know, potentially noxious benzyl alcohol filled, you know, <laughs> bolus of into their glute, you know, and that's a good way to make, make get some really potentially damage some tissue, ah, you know, okay. drink, you know. Well, you've got, it's all, it's stretched out. It's sitting there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then you're putting under massive pressures and it's kind of like, it'd be like, would you stick a needle in there and go work out with the needle sticking in you? No, because yeah, it's going to tear things up. So you've got a bolus of oil in there and especially if if it hurts anyway, right? Chances are you could, you potentially cause some localized trauma. This is not something I've ever studied. I haven't studied that, but yeah, it's it's just something to consider. So, all right. I'll dive back here. We had a bunch of listener questions. Guys are already commenting. Lucas got this one up before we even started, actually. Um, mm-hmm. He had said, um, if we are on the topic of thyroid, maybe we could cover supplements that support this gland's function. Um, yeah, I mean, you need you need selenium um, for the deiodinase enzyme. You need iodine, of course. Um, you want to become deficient in those. There's... Um, Google Sterones used to be out, and there was mixed data on that. You've heard of Google Sterones? No, he mentioned that in his in his question slash comment. Yeah, I looked at that data, and I haven't I haven't been able to find anything on that for the longest time. Okay, um, I think it's it's uh, it's of Indian origin, hmm. so someone could maybe dig into that and see, you know, if there's maybe some new information on that. Um, the thing that I that is important that I think people don't recognize is that carbohydrate content of the diet, this is supplements, but carbohydrate content of the diet is very important Hmm. for restoring thyroid, for instance. So let's take an example of someone who, for instance, is post uh, contest and they don't, they're not on thyroid hormone, right? And they've got some metabolic slowing. They've got some thyroid adjustments. So they've got less T4 to T3 conversion. They've got more reverse T3. And they reverse diet out and they eat all those yummy fatty foods that they um, hadn't been eating for a while. And they're in a caloric excess. And let's just, just to make the example a little bit more clear, let's say that they decide to, uh, 
try to control their calories, but they go with fatty stuff. Right. And, you know, this is going to be uh, this potentially could make a difference. I don't think you're going to see this study, too, because you have to get people into a perturbed metabolic situation where they're hypothyroid due to a severe caloric deficit. We're not going to be able to do the Minnesota semi-starvation studies really anymore. They'll never get approved. But um, if you refeed, and these studies have been done, they're old though. If you were to refeed someone on a high-fat, low-carb diet, you don't restore thyroid um, to the same extent than if you, that if you do when you refeed with a higher carbohydrate diet. Um, if you look at what happens to the decline, this is like with like a one week, the Pierce Picker study I mentioned. Now, now we're starting to give away some of the stuff on John Meadows' site, but the, you'll be able to see the day. There's still lots more goodies there. Um, if you uh, have people diet or have a low carb, low carb diet or a protein sparing modified fast or starve, um, you see a, obviously a drop in thyroid and an increase in reverse T3. So for folks who don't know, um, there's three different deiodinase enzyme isoforms and they're, they're involved with converting T4 into T3 in different tissues, as well as converting T4 into reverse T3. And reverse T3 has three iodines, just like regular T3 does, but it's a different iodine is stripped from the thyroid molecule. And that is one that basically doesn't do anything in terms of metabolism. So one way of sort of taking thyroid out and eliminating thyroid action, slowing the metabolic rate to accommodate a deficit is to produce more reverse T3. Hmm. And some, that's thing that's worth measuring on your blood work too, to see if you're having, if you're having uh, symptoms of hypothyroidism, um, an elevation reverse T3 would suggest that your, your body is, is, is slowing its metabolic rate and it's eliminating T4 by producing T, reverse T3 as opposed to converting it to T3, which is active. T4 is basically a pro-hormone. So the way to look at it, it doesn't really do much metabolically okay, yeah. speaking. So anyway, carbohydrate in terms of refeeding or even when you even when you look at what happens when you diet down or you starve people, eliminating carbohydrate like with a protein sparing modified fast shows essentially the same drop in T3 and the same elevation reverse T3 as if you completely fasted nothing. Really? Right. Yeah. So it's the lack of carbohydrate, which is the main factor in terms of T3 drops down. And then when T3 comes back. Okay. So um, it's kind of perplexing because some people do really, really well with low carb ketogenic diets, right? All in all, we see it's mainly there's there's it's, it's a wash on average, um, but and I think the thing at least for me and for many people too is if your protein's high, you're doing a bodybuilder's ketogenic diet, protein um, via glucagon other mechanisms is going to be something that tends to limit your appetite, so you're just less hungry. Yeah, um, less stress probably means less cortisol too, but it also probably means um, let's say you compare equicaloric diets high carb versus high fat, but they're, but they're hypocaloric, right? So equally hypocaloric one's low carb, one, not low fat, the low carb diet, the ketogenic style diet is going to reduce T3 more. And one thing that was hypothesized to some degree is that that might be beneficial because thyroid does increase, it does increase protein turnover. So if your trend during your diet 
and this would be depending on the person and how hard they're dieting. If your trend during your diet is loss of muscle mass, so we're mainly talking about natty people who aren't, aren't using PEDs to hold on to their, their muscle mass. But if your trend is loss of muscle mass and you keep thyroid high, you could accelerate that trend, right? But if you thyroid drops down and you slow both protein breakdown and protein synthesis, you might be able to hold on to muscle mass better. Yeah. And that's why for some people, a ketogenic diet might work, might work better. I tend to think it's the way the bodybuilders do it and they take in extra protein. You know, they're using protein as, you know, basically uh, to help prevent muscle loss and then kind of as a expensive form of energy. Right. Yeah. Because um, it's just, you know, stripped of the nitrogen used for gluconeogenesis to, for energy and glucose. But so anyway, so, so carbohydrate is important. So if someone's coming back from a show, you know, they're they're going to reverse diet and that period is like, oh, they just want to eat ice cream and pizza and all this kind of shit. Um, and they know their thyroid is low if if just thinking sort of microscopically about thyroid metabolism, then they're going to eat a caloric excess no matter what. Um, then having more of that caloric excess be high carbohydrate versus high fat. You know, there's, a, there's greater thermogenic effect too of the higher carbohydrate. And the, the possibility, it can happen over several days, but the possibility of de novo lipogenesis happening from carbohydrate is minimal. But going with higher carbohydrate is a smarter way to get out of a hypothyroid hole, so to speak. Hmm. Um, that some people can be in if they're um, uh, if they're in if they're hypothyroid due to a prep, or even someone who's like, okay, I was on thyroid, you know, and I want to come off the thyroid medication. I want to don't have to rely on this, you know. How do I help restore my own thyroid? Haven't seen this study directly because you're not going to be able to induce hypothyroidism with people or put them in situations like bodybuilders are in. But it would also make sense to use carbohydrate. Um, or elevate the relative percentage of carbohydrate in a diet that you're, that you're following at whatever caloric level when you're trying to restore normal thyroid metabolism and you're coming off the suppressive effects of thyroids, exogenous thyroid supplementation. So carbs help with thyroid conversion. It's probably mediated through insulin um, hmm. or IGF-1 too. It's probably mediated through an mTOR-related mechanism. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, just, yeah it, so it, it makes sense not knowing that, but just just working with people, you know, every day as a coach, you know, you can see the response they have when you add, like it, it, when somebody's dieted, when somebody's real dieted. Like I have a couple guys that are getting we're recording this, you know, November nineteenth, and I have a couple guys that are competing like December second and December seventh, and so they're in a mm -hmm. point of the diet where they're they're very sensitive. We can add food and get a response immediately. You know, it's not like the off season where I say, Hey, add another cup of rice. And then you just really can't tell, you know what I mean? You can't tell. It doesn't change the way they look or the way they feel their workouts are the exact same. Cause it's such a small percentage of carbs and they don't have that same sensitivity, but you know, the best place I can get somebody in is like both of these guys have been ready now for a little while. And at this stage we're increasing the food, you know, we're bringing more carbs back in and I mean, all that's serving to do, well, they're filling out, right? But they're, right. they're getting hungrier. They're getting hungrier. They're burning more fat. It's, it's, it's having like, it, it, we're at that point where adding more carbs in for them is helping them to get leaner. And, and these guys are on some thyroid supplementation. Neither right? of them are. Neither of them Neither are. of them are. Yeah. Okay. 
So I think we're, yeah, so it, we're manipulating that more of the, the natural side of things, I would assume. They're endogenous T4. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, too, I kind of mentioned. Got to be careful because I'm not giving medical prescription. But sure. um, typically, T4 is what, you know, kind of it's been the standard go-to. But a lot of people compound because, um, and Tanya Miller mentioned this a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if she's here with us today. She might, But she mentioned this. And we went back and forth a little bit afterwards. She sent me some references um, related to the half-life and that kind of stuff. But. You can have situations where people still are hypothyroid. Um, their TSH levels have come back to normal, which is sort of the goal of the T4 supplementation is look at TSH. It's kind of a little bit bass backwards, but that's how they do it clinically. Um, and you can get that situation, but you can also still have low tissue T3. Um, so, but as far as uh, T4 versus T3 supplementation for bodybuilders, T3 basically is that's the active form of the hormone, right? Yeah. And if you, but if you get four, which is, which the body then converts to some degree, that conversion is dependent upon your diet and it's dependent upon carbohydrate intake. And um, also just being in a caloric surplus. So more insulin or actually more IGF one, two, which is, which is reflects your nutritional status. So giving T4, well, basically provides sort of the precursor materials for your body to then um, drive metabolism with T3 relative to its nutritional status. Hmm. And that's one way to sort of obviate this possibility that you're dieting down um, and you and you see this all the time. It's like, oh, I'm a little behind, right? I get this, so I throw in some T3 and then people just lose muscle mass. Like they drop like 10 pounds in 10 days, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe two pounds of fat, but they lost eight pounds of muscle, right? Because T3 can be can be very um, very catabolic. It turns on protein synthesis, but also turns on protein catabolism as well at the same time. So um, if you're in that situation and you give T4 just hypothetically, and you don't have much insulin around, and maybe you're also in a low carb situation, you're gonna you're, you're less likely to have that T4 be all converted into T3 and then drive you into catabolic state because your metabolism is running so hot in a caloric deficit. You've got T4 and the T4 is a long, really long half-life. It hangs around for days and days and days. And then let's say you do have a, a refeed, right? And you do have insulin levels that go up and maybe your IGF-1 goes a smidge. It's very slow to react, but then that T4 will be converted relative to your nutritional status during that day or two, right? Yeah. And then you do have T3 to help drive protein synthesis when you're already in an anabolic state, as opposed to T3 driving protein synthesis and catabol catabolic and protein catabolism when you're in a, an overall catabolic state and, and worsening that. So um, that's a thought on those two things. And I kind of uh, talk about that a little bit in that Q&A as well. Okay. So I wish I had more supplements, you know, but um, the carbohydrates is a major, a major player there. Yeah, you know, so you talked a little bit about iodine and the potential benefits. Um, Still Dreaming O2 said, uh, would it be beneficial to supplement with iodine coming off T3, T4 post-contest? Just make sure you're not deficient. Check your blood work. Okay. You know? So it's not like something where, you know, we're thinking like uh, like like we would with test, where I'm going to blast a bunch of it and then I'm going to get a super effect Taking a, yeah. a, a lot of additional iodine isn't going to be some sort of magical trigger. No, it's just, I mean, T4 is, has four iodines, tetraiodothyronine, triiodothyronine, three 
thyroids, reverse T3, S3, iodines on it. Um, so it's just a matter of having enough to build the hormone. Um, and I mean, you can think about it, you could do, if you want to go and back, you know, do sort of the, the chemistry of it. Like if your body's producing a total like of a hundred micrograms of T4 per day, something like that, like that's one, that's one tenth of a gram or one tenth of a milligram. Right. So that's not much iodine on how many, I don't know how many, be very little iodine if you look at the molar equivalent of how much iodine is in mm. one tenth of a milligram of, of thyroid hormone it's yeah. very very small right yeah. you just got to make sure you're, defi- you're not deficient so that's the main thing just selenium just an iodine um okay. i don't think that happens in first world countries very often but yeah um yeah you get iodized always, yeah i'd always used iodized salt in my food, but I would rotate it because I, I, you know, I'd always think to myself like, oh, well, I want to use sea salt and get the benefits of the additional <laughs> mineral. So I'd use sea salt in one meal and then iodized salt in the, in the next meal. And I'd kind of rotate it like that through yeah. the day, whether it was necessary or not. I don't know. And really, I don't care. It was like, you know, my bro science idea, though. And I, I had talked to other people who had done that, too. It was kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, let's just be safe. Make sure we're getting enough iodine. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of. Um, yeah, with, like with most vitamins and minerals, I mean, if you, you can mega dose them and, you know, having more of something that you just need a sufficient amount of doesn't really, doesn't really do much. That'd be cool. Right. If you could just force the body to make more thyroid hormone yeah, or iodine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brandon, it said uh, a little late to the party. He's just tuning in. Um, but he said, uh, just did a one-on-one consult with Scott on Friday. And we discussed uh, carnitine and thyroid hormone interactions. Nice. What about? Yeah, uh, that's the other article, that carnitine article that's oh. on John's site that, that people don't really haven't really recognized. You and I talked about extensively here, and yeah, El carnitine. Yeah, we went through that. He was like, he's like, holy shit! I think Brandon may actually sign up to John's site just to read that article and maybe the other ones too. But yeah, we went in like it, it like literally like a a, a gram of l-carnitine a day oral doses is enough to like in one study i think it cut the increase in metabolic rate of thyroid by 50 percent. so it 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 blocks the entry of t4 and t3 into the nucleus it's so wild yeah it really um yeah so that's a we've done a whole podcast on that i'm not going to get into that because we did multiple shows like it was like three four shows back to back we just kept talking because you kept finding more out and people kept having questions about it too yeah, it's so cool. So, um, why does growth hormone cause massive water retention for myself? I use generics at four units per day. Also, I'm not bringing the questions up on the screen as much as I used mm. to, because I think that sometimes the um, the YouTube bots read that stuff because they, they can recognize text. And I think sometimes uh-huh. if maybe they read certain words, some of that stuff may be part of what's caused issues with us. So. Yeah. Yeah, getting monetized. Um, but that was from Death Rattle, yeah. by the way. That was his yeah, name. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Death Rattle. I don't think you care. You wouldn't give a shit about any of this stuff, right? Like, yeah. your name's Death. Rattle, <laughs> right? I don't care about water retention. Bring it on. Um, uh, that's a that varies, and a lot of people report that depending on whether they're using generics or 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 um, you know, black market versions, like one kind, like the whoa, 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 gray market, Scott. Gray market. Gray market. Okay. Okay. Gray, gray market. 
and some of just black market, but yeah, grayish market, 50 shades of gray market. Right, right. Um, that it varies. So, you know, the interaction, you know, the binding, what's going on with the renin-angiotensin, um, renin-aldosterone angiotensin system per individual probably has to do with the same reason why some people get better effects from different growth hormones than others. Yeah. And that's, it's, it could be defects in the folding of the hormones. So its shape is different. Yeah. Um, there's also some molecular modifications that can happen with storage or exposure to heat and those sorts of things. So you just get a little bit differently shaped growth hormone molecule. It's still the same number of amino acids and all that kind of stuff, but it just doesn't bind the receptor in quite the same way. Um, so that's why you get different growth effects. I mean, that's potentially one reason why individuals, there's at least one variation in the growth hormone receptor that um, would potentially play a role there. But I think that's the biggest, biggest reason why not all growth hormone is created equal. Yeah. And it's going to cause, you know, some people find that could be a good thing. Some people find that they, when they get on the real farm grade stuff, that they get, they get tons of water retention, like, you know, three I use and like, you know, they've got carpal tunnel and they, they can't type, they can't, they can't, jack off they can't do anything i'm saying all the wrong words aren't i right I'm, yeah, yeah they're probably not supposed to say that <laughs> masturbation and pooping and everything else um but so that good thing or bad thing i don't know like that water retention might be an indication you know that you would expect all all in all that you know side effects there was going to be some scale with the desired effect right yeah. What we're looking what we're looking for is bodybuilders so um, but the relative scaling is kind of the issue. So the question, you know, back at Death Rattle, <laughs> great name, would be, um, okay, so you're getting a lot of water retention. Um, what you, the question then would be, well, what happens when I come off? Because the water retention, the problem with that is it blurs what's going on with body composition. So you can't, you can't tell whether, you know, you're, if you're, when you're getting bigger, if you're necessarily getting leaner from the growth hormone, if you've got some recomping going on, or you're just, or you're just continuing to getting fatter and it's not doing much for you. So you have to come off and clear that water retention out that may take three or four or five days. Um, and so you'd have to do sort of a clean out to see, okay, did this stuff do anything for me? So the question is, you know, relative to that water retention, am I getting the effects that I'm wanting from the GH? And if you're dieting down to that can be, that can be a cool thing to do. Like you're on it for, whatever it would be, let's say because with GH, we're talking about GH in particular and water retention, you go for through three and a half weeks and then you take, you know, three, four, five days off and see how you look on Sunday, your check-in day with your coach or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. I just dropped six pounds of water yeah. and I look awesome. Right. And you put it back in and you're back up four pounds by the next Sunday, you know, but it seems like it's working given your experience. I mean, people aren't generally isolating one variable, but that's the thing you'll have to do to see, you know, if that water retention, which is your just natural, um, your unique response to that form of GH is also accompanied by your desired response to that form. Of right. GH, right. That yeah, yeah. UC Suma, he wouldn't mind me mentioning his board name here. He, he mm -hmm. got a prescription for, uh, from his doctor for growth. And we thought to ourselves like, okay, now we're going next level. Now you got the good stuff. So we switched right. from a, a very reputable uh, underground brand that, in my opinion, has been consistent since I started using it back in like 2013, something like maybe even before that. But, you know, long, long time. It's always had the same effect for me over the years. So I'm confident in it. He switched from that to the, the farm grade stuff. 
and he gained so much water retention from it we couldn't even work on him anymore like i couldn't see what was going on there was just so much fluid scott yeah. like i couldn't tell are you growing muscle or are you getting fat like we couldn't tell it was just a balloon at that point he's got an anaphylactic reaction to the stuff right he's just like a, like a yeah. wasp stung all over the body yeah yeah, yeah. So we tried to did, uh, you, we, did you try and for a while and then come off and see what happened or did I, we try what and come off Try to run it for a while and then come off and see like when the water was gone. If like okay, shit, look, you're leaner than what I might have expected. Or we well, it, it kind of put us in a holding pattern because we weren't quite sure what was happening. And I did, I didn't want to, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that somebody is continually reaching their goals, right? And so if right. somebody were on it for eight weeks and we can't tell what's happening, I mean, we could keep adding food in and make the scale continue to go up. But I, for him, that wouldn't be beneficial. Like his body couldn't handle that i want him to be a really like for he would gain a lot of fat that way so i want to make sure that we control where he's at and consistently move up yeah. incrementally small amounts and that's how he's best at gaining muscle um i can't remember whether this happened during an off season or a cut i think it was during a cut though and we we ran it for it probably a good month plus and then we had to we tried backing it down and we stayed there for a little while and we tried we got to the point where he was using like a half unit or something like that. And then we just scrapped it because it just, I think, you know, and then from there we, we move forward. All that kind of stuff too. Yeah, we, we couldn't figure it out, man. It was just, it was just yeah. that particular GH. Like he, he'd responded good yeah. to different brands, but for some reason, I think it was Omnitrope was the, the brand that he was using from the farm grade stuff and it just didn't work for him. Yeah, yeah. Not the first time I've heard that story. I'm sure it's not the first time you have either. Yeah. So... We had one guy who commented saying that he um, can't see where this is at right now, but he mentioned though that he he did use thyroid and I believe he said L tyrosine, and he shot way up into the red. Um, here it is. Um, I was using T three T four. I was using T three T four. Good blood work and came off both. Um, I, you both use I. Okay. Oh, he says both use L-tyrosine and iodine, and I was producing even more T4, uh, was in the red, and TSH and T3 were good. He cut the iodine the next week, and then all of his tests were in range. So, okay. sorry, no punctuation there, but it sounds like his he, he was out of range without anything in his system, without using T3, T4. Um, while using L tyrosine and iodine, those things pushed them up into the red. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's two tyrosine molecules bound together that form the T the thyroid hormone backbone. Okay. So yeah, that's the other, thing. you know, normally, um, I mean, you would, if you're eating a complete, getting plenty of protein, you think you'd have enough, but I've never heard of, I've never seen that in the literature. That's pretty cool. To, pretty cool. To see. I wonder, um, what if he was also eating appropriately too, hmm. I imagine right yeah um, that would be a cool study to do like that's like again that's just a strange situation you can't find, it's hard to find data on but um you know he may have been also eating appropriately so it may not have been those two things but he certainly made sure and he could have been also deficient you know ah, it's possible okay that he started off with at least a deficiency in the iodine so we don't know that the, the l-tyrosine did did much per se but it's possible that he was deficient um so yeah those are the the variables you know that that lead to that's the thing that's not to say that you know supplementing with iodine and selenium tyrosine what have you can't be effective for certain situations 
mm-hmm. right? It's all contextual. His situation, it certainly was, but we don't know exactly what his situation was in terms of deficiency or sufficiency of those minerals. Um, and I mean, but it's interesting with the, the interesting with the L-tyrosine because you can take L-tyrosine, for instance, with like um, um, ephedrine, and people will notice more of a kick there because yeah. Um, yeah, the deltyrosine is a backbone for catecholamines too, for norepinephrine. So it does seem to feed into norepinephrine production. That's what ephedrine's doing at the sympathetic nerve terminals. It's it's stimulating the release of norepinephrine. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so you can you can feed in those, you know, and obviously the balance of tyrosine and tryptophan has effects on brain. There's a whole wealth of literature looking at at that. Is that a central fatigue phenomenon too? So. Um, yeah, you can, you can manipulate amino acids and get acute effects for sure. So that's really cool to glad you, glad you pulled that post out. That's really cool to hear. It is. Um, I love L-tyrosine. I found it, uh, I get a lot of really good nootropic benefits from it as far as Uh focus goes. And it's one, I'll, I'll tell you, man, it's a, I'd I'd consider it to be an underrated supplement when dieting actually. I think so. I, yeah, I, so. I, I don't hear people talk about it a ton. I, I mean, everybody kind of knows it's there. I think it's it's underrated, though. Um, I mean, I, from what I understand, yeah. uh, well, well, I'll say the I'll say a couple things. I think it is really beneficial for focus and for as an anti fatigue agent. I think it works really well mm-hmm. for that. Not necessarily as a stimulant, but as an anti fatigue agent. I believe I had seen at some point that there was some sort of military testing for sol- like they used it with soldiers to to mm-hmm. stave off fatigue. Um, and then from what I do understand that there, what is that relationship? Can you say that again? The relationship to thyroid. Uh, it's it's a two. The backbone of the thyroid um, molecule is made up of two thyrosine ty- L tyrosine molecules. Okay. So that's part know what of that the, means it, exactly. It's the building block. You take two okay. L tyrosines, put them together, add some iodines, and basically you got thyroid hormone. Okay. Okay. And and I've heard of it being used for people that are um, you know, post contest. So that's a great time to consider using L tyrosine yeah. when you're trying to get things back online. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that balance of L tyrosine to tryptophan. It has to do with serotonin production in the brain and norepinephrine production in the brain. So um Tryptophan's precursor for serotonin, tyrosine's uh, precursor for the yeah the um, for dopamine, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, epinephrine, so um, the catecholamines. So it's the balance there and entry of the brain. There's competitive competition there for entry across the blood-brain barrier that's involved. So you basically, if you take out tyrosine, you get a, a spike of, of that um, that um, that increases uptake into the brain that's going to shift your brain chemistry that's why you're getting this nootropic effect huh. it's going to be having an alerting effect um and it's somewhat you know each of the, i mean how many times you heard people talking about i took this nootropic i'm like wow it's just the greatest thing ever you know it's like almost like i was tripping on ayahuasca or something and then somebody said i took it and i didn't feel anything yep right yep yeah so there's lots of variability there as to um you know to get what extent those things can help people but um, yeah, I've heard yeah, many people have used L-tyrosine. They add, you can add like, add like five grams to your, your intra-workout if you're doing that's like a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot, right? But they notice it, you know? Yeah. And it's, toxicity is not an issue. My, uh, so. my, my go-to that I used while contest prepping, and I've suggested this to people that I work with too, 
if you're at that point where you're starting to feel like you're starting to feel that major fatigue, you know, let's say you work a nine to five job and somewhere around like one or two in the afternoon, I start dipping and I just the energy starts going down. Brain fog is setting in a hot cup of green tea and two grams of L-tyrosine. Boom. Great pick me up. Plus, I found there's like a slight appetite suppressant effect, too. And I asked my clients that use it and they've all not all of them, but a lot of people have said, because there are those people who have said, nah, I can't really tell a difference. But a lot of people have noticed, yeah, I noticed the the, the, the decrease yeah. in the fogginess and a little bit of appetite suppression as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something to say, you know, there's some stimulant mechanisms that are involved there. Um, obviously, like methamphetamines, you know, people don't eat for, Ooh, for days on yeah. end, you know, yeah. and they're really don't say, recommend that don't say that word again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Just, just we're just talking pharmacology. That's the thing. That's important. Like, what if this were pharmacology? You know, we're talking literally about how the brain works. But maybe the maybe the boss will be smart enough to realize that that was just an example, right? Right. But, um, I think there's also something to say for um, just being distracted. And when when you're when there is a stimulant effect, and you're not so tired and run down, um, then you're just you're you're, you're happier. Basically, you feel yeah, relieved, yeah, and you're gonna start doing other things rather than sitting there thinking, "Gosh, I just can't wait until my how many I got 32 minutes till my next meal," that sort of thing. <laughs> right. So there's there's something to say, right, for for just being um, uh, just being sort of uh, distracted to some degree, you know, from yeah. the food folk. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. Um... All right. Tanya said uh, a few days ago, I took Yohimbine for the first time. Uh, is it normal to kind of feel a heat wave, um, like a feverish feeling? Took six milligrams together with six milligrams of synephrine and 100 milligrams of caffeine and grapefruit seed. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, the grapefruit extract. Um, yeah, that's one of the side effects people get from Yohimbine. That's a. That's a hefty first time go. Oh, yeah. I always, Six. yeah, I always suggest people like two and a half milligrams since they have it. True nutrition, um, you know, find the lowest dose you can. Just try that by itself, and then work that up. And then if you're going to stack it with something else, you know, maybe add that in. Like one morning, you just don't take your your um, your himbean, and then you try the sinephrine by itself to see what's going on. And then just try go to your second dose of eltire or of uh, later. Yeah. So take them and I and then start slowly added them together but yeah that alternating fever and, and chills and sweats like that's 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 typical eltiracy or a classic yeah 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 it's beautiful <laughs> yeah i agree man i i can't tolerate much and we've talked about that before but uh, some people they do fine with a lot more 15 milligrams no problem you know 98 per 98 pound bikini competitor says oh yeah i took 10 that wasn't a problem so i went to 15 I don't notice mm -hmm. anything from it. I just feel a little bit more energy. But for me, I get that kind of flu-like feeling and just kind of feverish and gross. It is not for me at all. Um, there was a guy who was a freaking poster on Intense Muscle. Um, I won't say his name. I remember his name. Actually, he's a buddy of Ken's. He used to live in Miami. Um, he used to take 50 milligrams a day, 50 or 60, I think. Five zero or six zero? Jeez. 50 or 60, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. I know, but it worked for him, right? Yeah. Wow. So I don't know how he had worked up to that, but, you know, I've heard, you know, people take, people just have varying tolerances to these things. Yeah. You know, so, 
but that's 0.2 milligrams per kilogram is sort of the standardized dose. Yeah. So people can get out, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you're a hundred kilogram person, that might be 20 milligrams a day. Right. So 10 milligrams for a 98 pound Capini competitor in one dose is, is big. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's an entire day's dose, like all at once. And if anybody that I'm working with, a lot of times they're already on clen to start. And I feel like once you start combining those two things, I, I usually don't take it to that outside max. You know, I try to keep yeah. it more on the modest side because now we're combining things. Yeah, it's nice to leave something too. Like, you know, you, you get up to that and you're 10 weeks out. It's like, okay, where are you going to go? Yeah. When the, you're going to just run yourself down. You'll be just so, so depleted and whacked out by the time you get to the show. It becomes really pretty brutal. All right. See what else we have here. Kelly's with us. A bunch of people are commenting. She said, uh, hey, Scott's a longtime listener and past client of Dr. Scott. Keep spreading the good news, guys. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Let's see here. Kind of way, way different track from Chris. Uh, I know we're kind of running toward the end of the show. I'll bring this one up. Um, but he said, um, could you talk a bit about youth training? My friend asked me to work out with her son. He is 13, already hit puberty. When did you start training, um, first of all, Scott? Let me ask you that. How old were you? I was 11 when 11? I first okay. formally did it, yeah. I told you I found this journal, this diary that yeah. I had from eighth grade. Yeah, where I thought I was getting addicted, you know. I was, I was like, I really like the pain of training. I read through it. Um, uh, I'll, well, I'll tell you about something going to be coming out maybe in the next couple months, but... Uh, I read through it and there was like one day I wrote down, it's like, so I, I did like the entire, like two thirds of an entire workout. And I noticed it was the workout for women. So I'm like, oh shoot. So I did the workout for guys. Right. Okay. And then I came back later on that day and I worked out for like three and a half hours after that or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was kind of, kind of stupid from the get go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the concern like with, with young kids would be, um, if their growth plates haven't fused yet, so that that's going to happen after puberty, they're still growing, um, is that they might end up with a growth plate fracture because there's a, a tendency for that to possibly happen, like a radial fractures and those sorts of things that happens in youth sports. Um, but for the main, the main, the main problem is, is, so the main thing you avoid is, is training really, really heavy and just doing stupid shit. Um, I don't even know if like there's even a lot of doc. I've, I've never seen a documented, you know, example of a kid breaking a bone while he's actually, you know, working out. Right. Yeah. Kids yeah. Breaking, playing and running, doing all sorts of shit. Right. And they recover yeah. really quickly. So that's the problem. This idea of stunting your growth. No, that's not going to, that's not going to happen. Um, that's not going to occur. So um, the main thing, we haven't talked about this, but the main thing that I always sort of, because I get asked this question at the gym sometimes is um, one, make sure it's fun for the kids. So I think he said he asked, he was asked if he could train with him. So make sure the kid enjoys it. We make sure he's having fun with it. Um, this is his chance to kind of become a student of the intricacies of the training so he can learn like, okay, so this, this hits this muscle and what happens when I supinate more here and what happens when I do this bicep curl with an open grip and why am I using wrist straps and how do I use a belt and why would I use a belt? Do I always need a belt? You know, this is a chance to educate and basically give the, the kid that like, expose him to the wide world of um, 
looking at here. Uh, go ahead. I'll, I'm going to mention this later. I, I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. My world of, of, you know, all the, the crazy and wonderful intricacies of training, all the cool stuff that can happen there. Um, learning to connect with the muscle and, you know, just having fun with, with what he's doing. So it becomes a form of play. Yeah. Not a form of, remember, um, remember that early, I just think just curved me. Remember that early scene from Conan, the barbarian where he was a slave yeah. And there was this wheel that he yeah. was strapped to and he had to push the wheel in circles, you know? Um, and as he grew older and older, he got stronger and stronger, but like that's, that was his resistance training. That's how he got to be so big and strong because all day long, all he did was, was do basically a, a sled drive, you yeah. know, 12 hours a day. Don't make it like that. You know, like a, the concern would be, come on, push yourself, show me what you're made of. Let's get after it. Don't be a pussy. That sort of thing. You don't, that that I think is the type of thing that can shy kids away, unless they're. Some kids are kind of motivated that way, can be geared, be geared that way. But my first thought would be make it fun, and if they like, if they like going after, it's like, like they get pumped up. It's like okay, let's make this a good set. Let's see yeah. what you get here. Did you get twenty? I bet you can get twenty-five. Let's go for this. Come on, I got you. Let's make this one safe. Focus on the muscle. Let's see if we can get at least twenty reps and have make it fun and enjoyable. Um, but keep the reps high initially. Don't try doing singles and that kind of stuff. And so the kid is learning how to kind of guide himself and, and train himself. Um, and uh, so it's something that he can pick up and put down whatever he wants. Pardon the pun. Yeah. yeah. He, he can just do, um, do it because he enjoys it. And he doesn't feel like it was, it was something he was forced to do or he's being driven to do. So that would be my first thought. And then just work on, perfect form on everything um you take a kid at that age right and and you know he's got incredible neural neurological gains that he can make and you know he'll be out bench pressing um you know all of his friends probably with a few exceptions in a matter of four or five years he'll be just crazy strong and that'll make it even more fun so oh yeah those are some those are some of my initial thoughts i think that's great advice overall we got a super chat when to say thank you? I don't know how to say his name. Sequels? Sequels? Aaron? C equals R-N. Sequels? C equals R-N. Yeah, C equals. I don't know what C means, but. Yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. I don't, and I don't know what this question was exactly. Super sticker? <laughs> oh, he what? paid for a super sticker. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he sent donated. Us a, he sent us a He donated chat. to the podcast. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. There was one other one here. And uh, I basically, I don't know what he means exactly, but we can kind of riff off of it. He said, um, hey, guys, great show as usual. Thank you for the knowledge and content for free. I want to know uh, what do you guys think about the free Smith machine? So I don't know if he's talking about like the Smith machine that you can walk out in or if he just means mm -hmm. like a Smith machine, but I think, I think he means those. Yeah. Yeah. I and like those. Yeah. Yeah. Those are cool. They have you, one of the, one of the gyms down here. I train, train at, um, or I used to train a lot when I was in Bonita Springs more often. Um, they're cool because, um, well, they, they, it's like a Smith machine so you can hook it. Right. So you can catch and you can put the safety supports in there. Um, but yeah, I, I like those. I like the feel of those. It does. It, you get sort of the benefits of it. It stabilizes the bar so you don't have any, you know, left or right because it keeps it in. Um, yeah. Keeps it parallel. 
ground. So there's some stabilization. So you, in a way you get sort of the benefit of, um, of, uh, you know, being in a track so you can focus on the target muscle and, you don't have to, and there's not so much stress on the accessory stabilizer muscles. Um, but it does still, uh, it, because it does stabilize you, but it does allow some arcing motion. So let's say you're doing some like a flat bench press where there's normally an arc there. So it allows some of that movement. I like um, that part. I like that aspect. Cause I, I feel like if I'm doing like a chest press on, on just a standard Smith, being in that fixed track, it doesn't always feel right on my one of my shoulders. Yeah, yeah. You can do like um, like I used to do like you can do overhead presses in there or um, or bent over rows that sort of thing. And sometimes with a, like with a big bent over row, right? And you, if you get done, and um, it's nice because there's safety bars in there, so it's kind of like a power rack. But also you just turn the bar and it, it hooks and it catches, kind of like on a Smith. Yeah. Um, and you don't step it forward so much so that that racking unracking is a lot easier. It seems like, um, you don't have a big, you don't have to like lift up over the catches to get clearance. And then when you come to the top, like, Oh shit, I can't get it back over. Right. If you're short, you just bring it back and you hook it. Right. Yeah. Or you have the safety there. So I like those. I like the, the ones I've trained at don't feel like they have any friction. They're yeah. not like, they're not neglecting the eccentric because there's a lot of friction on them. They glide really, really well. So I dig them. What do you think about um, the Smith machines that are at an angle? versus straight up and down i'd rather have straight up and down um, yeah uh, i'm not even sure why they do those i think maybe it's for stability so they can because they they sort of it centers it on the frame of the machine uh, i think to keep the machine rolling over i guess that's why they do that to some degree oh, so okay yeah yeah they it's sort of the the frame becomes more of a kind of a triangular shape right so, um, but yeah for things like um I mean, you, you can use that to your advantage for like, like if you want to do like a barbell, like a back squat that hits the quads more. And so you're sort of, you know, kind of like placing your feet forward on a, a squat. You can do that. Um, you can get used to it. It's, it can be nice. Like some, some gyms have a, a straight up and down, a perfectly vertical and then an angled Smith. And then it creates a variation. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a bit different. So if you've got three squat rotations in, you want to do one one Smith machine one time, one Smith machine the other time, you can do that. But for um, for stuff like a like a a Smith sissy hack squat, which I've been doing some lately, you remember that exercise that I've got a video out there on YouTube. You do it's like a it's a you use on a, you want a Smith machine, and you know what a, a true barbell hack squat is like a deadlift with the bar behind your back. Okay, that's a hack squat. Um, there's the hack squat with the machine. But a real hack squat, the original hack squat is, is basically like a deadlift, but the barbell's behind your back, not in front of you. Really? Okay. That's a, yeah. Hockenschmidt was the guy's name. So that's why it's called hack. Um, so yeah, he, those are really hard to do. Like you can't pull for shit because you can't really use your, your low back to, to, you know, hip hinge the thing up because the yeah. bar is behind you, right? So it's all leg drive. A lot of it's quads. You really can't get the posterior chain involved much at all. Um, so that's a, a true hack squat and those are a great quad exercise huh. for people haven't done. Them. Yeah. It's a, t it's a total like humbler though. Yeah. Right? I haven't done those. Yeah. Like, like if you use like just quarters, you have to go even deeper. That makes it even harder. So like even, like even 135 is difficult Yeah, and it was very uncoordinated because most people with bent over rows or, or deadlifts, you know, they're, they're, they're used to a different, totally different kind of sequencing that involves, you know, some 
hip extension as they as the movement comes up sequence with how the bar is coming over your knees and everything that typically happens with a normal deadlift well this one there ain't none of that and if you if you try to do that the, the bar just ends up like running into your legs right so you have to keep this you know upright position you can't bend over with the bar and try to drive up because if you're that forward the bar just runs into your hamstrings yeah. so you have to stay late the bar can clear your glutes so that's a hack squat huh. um people can check it's on my youtube channel the video is like 12 years old now but it's a great it's a great quad exercise um i do it at home actually i just did these yesterday as a matter yeah. of fact on my home my iron master because you know with the hip the hip uh, replacement the bilateral hip replacement thing i've i've got my weight limit so i'm doing stuff that is hard and what you do with those um is you have the bar you're holding the bar behind your back Yep. And you don't even you don't need to elevate your feet. You just let your feet, will, your, your heels will come off the ground just naturally. Um, and um, or you can elevate the heels if you want to, but they'll just kind of come off. And uh, um, you do a, a sissy hack. So it's basically a sissy squat. So you let your heels come off. You kind of want this. So you do a hack squat. You pull it up. Yeah. You yeah. Can find I'm, it. I'm looking for it. I'll see if I can. Yeah. Sissy hack squat. You'll find it. It comes up pretty easily. Um but we'll carry on though. It's a longer saying. video. I, yeah. So, um, but anyway, if do, doing those, you want to have a, a, a vertical bar path. Um, you really can't do it, do that exercise on a Smith machine if it's on an angle. I've tried it before. Um, but those are really, really cool. You find it? Yep. I got it. I got it. Hold on just a second here. Yeah. Let's see if I can um, bring this up in summer. Um, What's that? Joe Daniels. Somersault squats by Joe Daniels is another Smith machine. You can do those with an angle. Yeah. yeah this is what, what year is that from? This says uh, 12 years ago. All okay. Right. Yeah. So scroll bit. forward. Like, hold on. Let's see what Scott says. Okay. Oh, we get a tour of Scott's home gym here. Back in Arizona. <laughs> we'll have nice. all this stuff. You got your motorcycle, BMW bike over there. I've got that same stepper. Yeah. On that. Nice. Nice. See some trophies over there. Yeah. Okay. 
Look at those legs on Scott. Look at those Ford freaking Aaron wheels. Corn. Yeah. What'd you say, Scott? I just wanted to. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, let let it play. I'll tell you afterwards. All right. <laughs> Dude, your legs are huge. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I remember that guy. Yeah. All right. Let's see this. Scott's got his black socks on too. Got to make note yep. of that. Anabolic black socks, anabolic boots. <laughs> oh, geez. All the way down. So I see what you mean coming up on the toes naturally. Mm -hmm. Just let it happen. It becomes a, like a smith. I mean, a sissy. I've never done this, but I love the look of it. They don't bother your knees from almost anyone. You just have to let your legs find the right groove. Your knees go the right. This is old school right here. I'd never seen them do these. That's why I kind of set up. There's a yoga exercise very similar to this, but obviously it's new body. That kind of froze, kind of froze up there. Come on. Nice. That was brutal, man. That was just to demonstrate. I mean, these are really hard. 
Yeah, I can see that, dude. There was, there was a UK bodybuilding board that I actually advertised on for a while. And this video got on there and they started like a competition, right? To see like how much um, people could use for this exercise. And I don't think anyone got to one. There's Tanya. I don't think anyone got to 135. And that's actually more like 155, 165 with that with that bar. I thought it was 75 pounds. Maybe it's 85 pounds. But um, yeah, those are, I mean, I literally like no weight on the bar is a good place to start to figure yeah. out how the nation because it's it's much harder than it looks. Um, and that straight up and down um, posture is what you want. And you're kind of constrained to it. That's the nice thing about the exercises. You really can't, you start to bend over and you just start running, the bar starts running into your legs and you, you just can't, you can't use your, your hip extensors. What, so no, it's we all had a, quads. We had a couple questions mm -hmm. here. Um, would you use wedges under, I'm going to put both of these up. Would you use wedges under your feet? And Chris says, um, doesn't it feel unstable going on your toes? I got to try this leg and on my next leg workout. No, it doesn't. Um, you don't need wedges because the feet can go flat on the way up so that if your, if your toes kind of come up and then they come back down and just allow it to hap happen naturally. Um, like that's what allows you to go all the way down. Right. Or at least me. And I have relatively tight Achilles, mm. but almost everyone in that, with that posture, yeah. um, your toes are going to come up a little bit. But the thing is, like if you had 400 pounds on the bar, right, and coming up off your toes, that would feel a little bit awkward. But it really isn't bad. Like I've had no one say, feel like, oh, I'm going to fall over because you've got the Smith machine balancing you. Mm. If you try to do, when you try to do, that's the thing. Hack squats are different than these. You can't do like a true barbell hack squat. Um, you need good good uh, Achilles flexibility to have a stable base. And like that's the problem that I have with those is that I my toes want to come up when I get down to the bottom. Um, yeah. But with these, the thing that I try to do, too, is I'm not doing this with um, to going down to the height of the bar. I'm going down to the bar touches my Achilles. Yeah. Right. It was going all the way down. And that's that's deeper than you're going to go, you know, with unless you use like five pound plates to load up to the end of the bar to get weight on for a barbell hack squat. That's deeper than you're going to go. So you get all that depth. So you get literally full range of motion on the quad. Yeah. Um, the, and, and, and even this is the thing that's a little different too. even even unless you're doing like a like a Tom Platt style, like Olympic barbell squat, because your upper body is so upright, you even have longer. Your rectus femoris is more lengthened. That's a hip flexor, too. So it's more lengthened than it would be on most other compound leg exercises. Uh, it's not yeah. as like you do like knee extensions laying all the way flat on a bench. If you can find one, let you do that. You can do knee extensions like that and then train the rectus femoris in lengthened position. But this trains the rectus femoris in a different way. And it's it's interesting, too. It varies depending on knee extensions, you know, whether they got a cam in there or what have you. But the the loading curve and your resultant the strength curve is different with this exercise. So it feels different oh, than yeah. doing like a, tremendously. And the, and the top and the somersault squats, too. Joe Daniels, I've got a. I got a video using my top squat for that. And Joe Daniels has got videos out there. I'd recommend his over mine, but that's another quad isolation exercise that has, that has yet a different feel that involves the Smith. So this is that exercise, knee extensions, which everyone has access to and the somersault. So the Smith sissy hack, the somersault and the knee extension are three that I recommend to people like, for instance, for fortitude training to have a knee extension or sorry, quad isolation exercise that maybe they don't, 
they're not used to. You might have two different knee extensions, one that is much harder at the end than at the beginning, and then one that has a different loading curve, and that's a nice, nice variation to have. But these exercises are, are just crazy different. So just so people who are thinking about this, like um, what you would do, for instance, let's say you're going to do a Smith squat, right, and you want to have a knee extension. Um, or a sort of quad isolation exercise in there. there two ways you could do it. First thing you could do would be to do the Smith sissy hack first right. as your first, like a pre thing. And then bring the, and you know, and you've already warmed up. So you know what your weight's going to be for your squats, right? And then you, it's a lightweight. You just pull it up to the appropriate height, put your plates on, take your rest, and then you do your first squat compound exercise. Hmm. Or you could do it at the end. So you finish your last squat exercise, right? Compound exercise. And you may have actually failed. Anyway, yeah. if you take the last compound to failure, well, you've got your safeties in there, right? So you just strip down to this very lightweight. I mean, most people are not going to use even 45s. Yeah. Like I said, I was doing 700-pound vertical presses, leg presses on that machine. And then I got like eight or 10 reps there of that, you know, at most. Yeah, you make it Probably. look easy, though. Like you make it look like, oh, yeah, I'll start with a plate. So good. Well, That's very yeah. good advice yeah. then. Start with just but a I was, bar. I was pretty strong. Like I was, you know, I was one of those guys like – not by far the strongest guy that ever lived. There's just no, no way. But um, that 12, 14 plate leg presses was a common thing back in that day. And a 700 pound vertical leg press is pretty good. Um, you know, so, it's, and, and that thing is, those plates are heavier in there that I have. I'm almost, I'm almost positive my plates are heavier than because I've gone back and forth. But, but anyway, you could do those at the, at the end then. So you finish with your squats or you can even, because it doesn't take anything, right? It's just, you might be using like a 10 or 25 on each side. Yeah, you just go to a Smith machine and one happens to be open and say, "I'm going to do mind if I do a set here," because you you don't have to work up to you really don't need much. You just throw a couple of light plates on there and it's like, oh shit, that's all it takes. Yeah, so that's a great yeah, idea, so that, man. That was that was some gold right here, like deep in the episode for you guys that hung out with us through this whole thing. Like that was literally some gold right there, and and I feel like yeah. just knowing the way my legs feel if I use an exercise or a machine that I'm not used to. I guarantee you anybody who does this and figures it out, they're going to smoke their legs with this exercise. Like you're going to get some soreness out of this one because it's going to be totally different than anything you're used to. The hardest thing, that question about wedges was good. Um, the hardest thing for many people, I've only had one person who couldn't coordinate is like everyone's so used to, I've got to have my heels flat on the ground. Yeah. And, yeah. And sissy squats where your heels are off the ground right intentionally you may not be you may not have anything to refer back to it's like oh this is weird we're not having my heels on the ground that, the other question is good do you feel unstable like no you're actually letting your heels come up in a way that allows you to feel as stable as you can yeah right and what? because I mean, Sorry, go ahead. Just the thing you're saying too with the weight, you're you're not overloading this. So there's, it's kind of like when you're using super super superb control in your negatives on an exercise. There's no point where the weight is so heavy that you're gonna lose it and hurt yourself. Yeah, I mean that wasn't that wasn't even body weight. So you know, I think most people could could probably most people probably could even do a body weight squat or less than body weight squat up on their balls of their feet. Yeah, there's someone who squat, you know. 400 500 pounds so um yeah and the smith machine helps so it yeah. looks hard it looks hard it is to do to execute i think as far as the feet going up and down but as far as the weight goes i made it you're right i made it look easy because it's really hard. i'm not using that weight i was in there i was shy of that what i did um just yesterday i was shy of that by about 20 pounds okay um, yeah so i'm happy right. that's 12 years later 
probably yeah. 30 pounds less. The godfather of leg training <laughs> ideas. I'll go with that. Just training ideas in general. Kevin said, yeah. uh, looking good, Scott. Hope your real rehabilitation process is going better every day. Sounds like it is, man, if you're uh, if you're in there doing these sissy yeah. squats. Yeah, yeah. Those were, I mean, that's I've got like my limit. I managed, I convinced my doc to let me to sort of gradually increase my load. So 135 was my max squat at four weeks. And he said, well, by 12 weeks, you can go to 315. So I was in there. I've still got this hematoma on the right side. Okay. He said, he said I could, right? Because yeah. he doesn't really, just, just as far as the bone, the limitation is the bone now, right? Yeah. So I said, well, is it okay if I just sort of progress, you know, over the week so that I get to 315? So, you know, basically, you know, work my way up. So, so yeah, I think I did like 205. Like next week I could go to 225. That's halfway up. That'd be about eight weeks out. So I was able to do, I did like stiff, did like stiff legged deadlifts with 205, but I did like a hamstring curl beforehand. Okay. Um, failure. And then I did one and a half reps with the half reps in the deep position really nice. slow. Nice. But I'm not going to, like, that's my load. Like that's the no, most I can like, literally have axially on my skeleton is 205 next week, 225. And then in, in four weeks, I'll be able to go to 315. And that'll be, that'll be good for, for most things. I think at this yeah, point, you can do everything you need with that. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. At this All point, right. I'm like, I feel so good. I'm like, I got to remember, Oh shit. I, it's always only like seven weeks ago and I had got brand new hips put in. I got, I go, I don't want to fracture anything. So take it easy, dude. Cause I don't feel like there should be any limitations. There's no, yeah. like, I feel really good actually. I'm like, Hmm. I was doing the stiff legged deadlifts and I just put some 45s on there. I'm like, okay. And then my next thought was, I just like, like sort of spontaneously automatic. I'm like, I'm going to go put another 25 or 45 on there. I'm like, uh, no, no, no. That's, <laughs> it's like two, yeah. that's like two forty five, two fifty five. I can't do that. That's, that's three weeks from now. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, yeah, it's going good. It's, it's kind of, it's now it's getting kind of fun. Cause I feel, I feel like the rehab's basically over now. It's just a, a bone growth process that I have to accommodate. Excellent. Well, guys, we appreciate everybody tuning in for the live stream. I've got some timestamps that I've written out here, so I'm going to plug those in after we are done with this. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Comment with questions for the next episode and uh, go to byobbcoach.com. You can reach out to Scott there uh, check out his book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. You can also get the hardcover on Amazon, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. Uh, Fortitude Training is at his site too. You can reach out to him there or on social media for uh, consultations and you can reach out to me mcnally diets at gmail.com for coaching we hope everybody has a fantastic thanksgiving and uh you know thanks for uh hanging with us for another episode of muscle minds with scott stevenson i am scott mcnally and we will see you soon two weeks from today we'll be out again yeah thank you for the listeners i'm thankful for you guys appreciate it me too there we go